Episode 62 of the Glass with Joe podcast with PJ Glasser. I'm Joe Malfo. We are recording on a Tuesday. We believe that's a first. I think we've done interviews on a Tuesday. We haven't recorded on a Tuesday, but we do it because PJ is traveling all over the place this week. <laughs> all You've got over a buddy who, who schedules a wedding during college football season. And Ryder Cup, Joe. <laughs> I mean, he's killing me. Ryder Cup week's one of the best weeks in golf. It happens once every two years. Uh, we haven't gotten in three years because obviously it was supposed to happen right. last year because of COVID. Um, it's just hilarious, though, that obviously he went to Bama. He's a huge golf fan. And you have an Alabama home game and the Ryder Cup the same weekend, and that's when you get married. So uh, his wife must be uh, pulling a lot of strings <laughs> in that marriage so far, Jeff. Absolutely. And then beyond that, you get to go to Lions-Ravens on the weekend. So you are a traveling man this week. Yeah, I work on weekends. So I had to take full advantage of, you know, going to be off for the wedding and then parlay that into a, a road trip. Too. There you go. There you go. Next week, just a heads up to our listeners. We're taking a bye week next week because uh, PJ is moving and I am going home to take a much needed couple of days off of everything. So no broadcast. So we'll be back no in October where it all exactly. ramps up. Exactly. So yeah. this week we get a Tuesday. Next week we get a bye week and then we hit the ground running again in October. So without further ado, we get to the important topics and we start off with reaction to week two in the NFL week two, week one, you get a chance to react and overreact to things week two. It's a chance for teams to kind of follow up on that first impression and solidify themselves. Week three is when you start to say, okay, this is how the league is taking shape. Um, so after the third week, that's when things really get interesting. So, so we'll start off though with a little preemptive pretender or contender uh, because this week we got a lot of teams that have a chance to, as I said, solidify their status going into the third week. Um, The three teams we want to look at Denver, Arizona, and Vegas. And we'll look at those three teams before we go back and and take a look at the rest of the scope of week two. Um, But those three teams, let's start with Denver pretender contender PJ. The Denver Broncos, I'm going to still say, are a pretender. They've played the Giants, and they've played the Jags, so not too very and this impressive. week they play the Jets, so it's really a nice yeah, start for them. Yeah, they're, they're really getting a nice start. Um, look, defensively, we knew they were going to be much improved. They get Sertan as their first overall pick. You have Vic Fangio as your coach. Von Miller comes back from injury. The defense has been solid. Bridgewater's giving you that veteran presence that Drew Locke didn't have. And the team is just playing better around them. It's amazing when a locker room trusts a quarterback and they just feel like they have a chance to win games. Um, Their offense last year we thought was going to be good. And because of all the young pieces that they had, Judy's hurt, which could hurt them, not this week, but when the schedule gets tougher. So we'll see how they bounce back. I just, I, I don't know yet. You know, Teddy Bridgewater is kind of in that mold for me with like the Andy Daltons and the Matt Ryans at this stage where he, he can like win you games and maybe just get you into the playoffs. But I don't know if Denver is a true contender. And especially with that division they're in, I, I, I truly think that, well, I know that on paper, they're the third most talented team in that division behind Kansas City and the Chargers. And with the way that the Raiders are playing, and we'll get to them in a bit, I just, I'm still not built, uh, I'm not 
buying into the hype quite yet with Denver. They should get the 3-0 after this weekend, but then they got the Ravens. They still got to play the Chiefs twice. They got to play the Chargers twice. So we'll find out a lot about this team uh, into October and November. Yeah, they start off with the three games, like you said, Giants, Jaguars, Jets, but their next four, they go Ravens, Steelers, Raiders, Browns. Mm. So that four-game stretch to begin October before they're home against Washington to end October is going to tell us a lot about them. I agree with you. Pretenders for now, but with that defense, they're going to be in every game this season. I mean, we, we mentioned I mentioned that four-game stretch coming up. Those are all going to be tough games. I would be about as surprised as them going 4-0 as they would 0-4. They probably fall somewhere in the middle with 2-2. Two two. With that defense, like they probably maybe pluck the Raiders game they probably pluck maybe either the Ravens or Steelers. Like it wouldn't stun me to see them take two of those four. Not sure which two. I think there's an equal chance of taking any of those two uh, with the way the defense is. But overall, once they start getting into the meat of that division, probably lean pretenders, but sticking in that division, one of their uh, cohorts there, the Raiders also two and O this one. I'm in the middle. Um, this team has been waiting to break out. A lot of talk about how Mayock is building the team. A lot that I don't that I don't agree with in how he's built the team. But I believe in John Gruden as a coach. I've always believed in Derek Carr as a quarterback. Lest we forget, this dude was on the verge of winning MVP that season before he broke his leg in the last couple of weeks. And then who won it that year? I don't even remember. Um, I'll look that up once you get into your bit about the Raiders while, while you're talking. Uh, dude was that close to winning MVP one year. He's one of the most underrated guys. Nobody talks about him. Nobody gives him the respect. So if he's leading the way, they do have some pieces on offense. Their defense has been the big question, but they looked good at times in key moments against the Ravens on the Monday night game. And they looked really good against the Steelers offense. That is still the jury still out in the Steelers offense, what exactly they're going to be. So I'm not ready to christen this team with either of the titles yet. Like I said, week one, it's week one. Week two, you follow it up and they've, followed up their first impression with a pretty darn good second impression. This is another test of a week, though, against the, the Dolphins uh, where we can see what they've got in store. Then they go at the Chargers, home to the Bears, at the Broncos. So we'll learn a lot more about them in the next week or two. But if I had to lean one way or the other right now, I'd probably lean division contenders. I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl contender, um, but they're going to be a thorn in the side of the Chiefs. They almost beat the Chiefs each of the last couple of years, too. So they have the Chiefs number in that regard. So I think they're, I think the Raiders are more legit than the Broncos is, is I think the best way to put it. If I had to choose between the two, I'd still lean Denver. Um, the Raiders, it's been impressive to start the year. They, uh, you know, the Ravens game is interesting because I think they got fortunate to get the Ravens week one because they didn't have their zone read quite down. And truly, I don't know if anybody was going to beat the Raiders week one in that new building, just opening that place up in front of Vegas. Week two against the Steelers was an impressive win. Short week. You go West Coast to East Coast. You win in Pittsburgh. Um, but the Steelers got real issues offensively. To me, that game was maybe more about the Steelers than it was the Raiders. So I think the Raiders are good. I think people need to pump the brakes on them just a little bit. They've gotten off to a nice start. If you're making me choose between the two, I would lean a little more towards Denver. Um, they still can't run the football in Vegas. Carr's been playing well. The defense, like you said, at times they've been better. They're making strides. But uh, 
you know, it's just, it's tough unless you're like Kansas City or Buffalo or Seattle to be just one dimensional. Like at some point you have to run the football and they haven't been able to do that the first two games. So good for them. Good for Vegas for winning the first two games. I really like Miami this week though against them. I think they play Vegas really, really tough. But, uh, you know, if, if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably lean Denver more as a pretender, but I think both are content are pretenders for now. Gotcha. And yeah, back in 2016, Matt Ryan ultimately won the MVP. He had almost 5,000 yards to go with 38 touchdowns and seven picks. Had Carr not broken his leg when he did, he would have finished around 4,500 yards and about 33 touchdowns and six picks. So they were pretty close. It was a slight edge to Matt Ryan in terms of the yards and a couple extra touchdowns, but Derek Carr was working with a lot less uh, on that Raiders team, and that's why he was squarely in that conversation. And since then, I mean, the guy in 2017, he didn't have a great season, 3,500 yards, 22 picks, 13 touchdowns. But since then, he's been just over 4,000 yards each of the last three years, and he's got in the last three seasons uh, 67 touchdowns to only 27 picks and his QBR is right around uh, uh, his passer rating is a little bit over a hundred. So he's completing about 70% of the passes. He gets overlooked. He's not sexy, but he's a really solid quarterback that doesn't get the credit he deserves. So um, not going to count this team out. He's not quite Matthew Stafford, but it reminds me right now, Derek Carr of how Matthew Stafford was for a decent period of time with the lions where he was putting up numbers. He was getting the job done just didn't have anything around him and didn't get the love he deserved. So that's why I think I'm, I'm a little more tilted towards saying the Raiders are better than the Broncos at this stage, but still in that division, I probably we're talking about them the most right now, but I probably still put them both behind the Chargers and the chiefs. So that that's the problem in that division right now. Uh, and it's just something going on out West because now for the third team we wanted to look at here for a contender pretender in the NFC West instead of the AFC West is the Arizona Cardinals PJ. They're a contender. Um, I mean, my mind's made up on them. Kyler Murray is, is maybe on his way to winning an MVP. Their offense overall is incredible. The addition of Rondale Moore is just unfair so far, it seems like. What he's been able to do, A.J. Green is in that offense now. Defensively, Chandler Jones is, I didn't realize it until this past week, is one of the most underrated players who is squarely in the Hall of Fame. His resume is complete. That dude's a Hall of Famer, and I didn't realize it until this week. Maybe that's on me. Maybe that's, I don't know if it's a wider spread thing where people haven't really kind of looked at him in that light, but the dude's a hall of famer uh, and he's playing like it. Isaiah Simmons is playing like they expected him to out of college. Um, they get uh, Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa to play linebacker. They got JJ Watt on the defense. Now they are clicking defensively in a way they weren't in the past. Uh, this team's legit. I like the Cardinals too. Um, you talk about what they did on defense, but the offensive veterans they brought in too, A.J. Green and James Conner, Chase Edmonds has looked good running the football. Arizona's biggest problem is just the division that they play in. Um, Seattle is the only team that's not 2-0, and and they should have won that game against Tennessee. So uh, it's a brutal division. Cardinals got fortunate to win that game against Minnesota. The only thing about the Cardinals is I just, they're so fun to watch and they're just like one of those teams in professional sports. Every sport has them where you just wonder if like they're fun, high octane, 
way of how they play translates to winning in December and January. And that's just the only thing I have to see. Now, we, we didn't get a good look at it last year because Kyler Murray was hurt. That was the but only that, thing. And that was going to be my point, is that we have to also see Kyler Murray make it through a 17-game season. He's obviously a smaller quarterback. He's not the biggest. He tends to protect himself pretty well. Mm. But, uh, I mean, as the season goes on with him, you just you, you have to prove that you can play an entire season. If he stays healthy, though, with the weapons they got on offense, the veterans that they have on defense, I'm still not sold on Kingsbury yet as a coach, but I think the Cardinals are, uh, are very talented. Would not surprise me if all four of the teams in the NFC West made the playoffs because I think out of the NFC North and East, you're each getting one team, whoever wins the division. Um, I'm not going to overreact to what the Saints did in Carolina or what Carolina did to the Saints. I just think that what we saw against Green Bay was an anomaly for New Orleans. And the Panthers, I think this is what they're going to be all year. Very good defense. Darnold will keep you in games. He's going to be much better under Matt Rule. But I don't know if I'm ready to say that Carolina would make it into the playoffs over really all of those NFC West teams, even with them cannibalizing each other. I still think all four of them have a great shot at making the playoffs. Carolina's another team to throw in there for a contender, pretender. I think I still lean a little bit more pretender. I think they're a year away. You look at Matt Rule, the way he's built teams, wherever he's been, it's always that third season for Matt Rule's programs where they take off. And I think they're laying a good foundation this year. Um, I think they're going to be in the playoff discussion until the very end. Even if they make it, I don't think they win a playoff game. Um, next year is the year to look at them. So on the counter, the flip side of, of talking about some of these teams that are, are 2-0, and we look at the teams that are 0-2 only six times since 1980 as a team started 0-3 and made the playoffs. Now, I'm going to disregard the Lions. I'm going to disregard the Giants. I'm going to disregard the Jaguars and the Jets. Those teams have no shot. <laughs> just it's just plain and simple but among I think the, the giants Colts, have a shot all right fine i'll throw the giants back in there at your request um falcons vikings giants colts then those four this week the falcons will be playing the giants so one of them's going oh and three um the colts have i had it here the titans and um the Vikings have the Seahawks. So it's danger territory for those four teams. We know, again, Falcons, Giants, one of them's going to own three. Vikings home against the Seahawks. Colts are at the Titans. Do you see any of those 0-2 teams making the playoffs? 0-2 teams, 12% have made the playoffs. You get to 0-3, only six teams since 1980 have made it. Um, so of those four, again, disregarding the Lions, the Jets, and the Jaguars, any of those teams you see turning the, the tide here and maybe sneaking in? I think the easy answer would be Minnesota or Indy. Indy because of the division that they play in, and they've played Seattle and L.A. to start the year, two tough games. But I just I don't like Carson Wentz. He's just a turnover machine. He's got two sprained ankles right now. He always two gets sprained ankles. I mean, that's just the right. jokes. Are, I, poor guy, but, like, the jokes write themselves. Like, you can't, it, he can't, can't stay healthy. You can't count on him. And I like Frank Reich a lot. I like the team that they build around Wentz. But if Jacob Eason is going to start eight games for you this season, I, I can't buy into him. Minnesota, I'm afraid, is kind of turning into the Chargers. Mm. They got everything you want on paper. 
They got Jefferson, Thielen. Dalvin Cook was unreal last week. They got a good coach in Zimmer. But they just invent new ways to lose games every week. And mm-hmm. I just I don't see it changing. They're a point and a half uh, underdogs this week against Seattle. And I think that's just going to be a coin flip game. It's going to come right down to the end. And Russ is going to break their hearts again. And I think it's going to happen to them a lot this season. They're right there. They're right on the cusp. But, again, when Cousins is your quarterback and the defense just for some reason, they're just not what we thought they would be, uh, I can't see them making it. The reason I would say probably the Giants have the best shot of making it is just simply their division. Division, yeah. I just, yeah. you know, they should have beaten Washington. Let's be honest. The uh, Washington football team got lucky to come away with that win. Philly, uh, their defense looks like it's going to be pretty decent this year, although they had some injuries against San Francisco. I can see them finishing around 800. Uh, and Dallas, same kind of thing. Everybody's going to hype them up all week because they beat the Chargers, but. Look, I've been telling you, Joe, Tony Pollard's better than Zeke. A lot of people are starting to realize that. He's going to get more and more touches. But because they played Zeke so much money, I think that they're going to force him into the game when Pollard should really be getting most of those touches. Uh, I think it's just the Giants because of the division. I think Minnesota is the best of the 0-2 teams. But I think the division the Giants play in, Atlanta, you know, I just Matt Ryan's done. Their defense stinks. Uh, Ridley's great. Pitts is a monster, but Matt Ryan just—he's kind of turning into Philip Rivers. He's a statue back there. He's just a pick six waiting to happen every time he throws the ball, and it's—it's uh, it's a shame. I—I uh, I feel for Minnesota because man, offensively they're talented, but I really think they're the Chargers. They just—they're going to find ways to lose games all season long. I don't like any of the zero and two teams. You had to have me pick. I take the Giants. Before we start to look ahead further to week three and then switching over to college, anything else stick out to you from week two? Uh, The things that stuck out to me from week two, probably uh, Vegas winning at Pittsburgh was impressive. Did not see that happening. Um, Let's see. I mean, the Panthers annihilation of the Saints. That was an interesting spread when the Saints were minus three at Carolina, and they're so good on the road. They're so good against Carolina. They had coaches out due to COVID. Um, I don't know how that much played a factor, but it it was really eye-opening how we all thought Jameis had made this huge transformation against the Packers, and then he kind of reverted back to his old ways. So I'm interested to see how they look over the next couple weeks. Um, and then, I mean, the Ravens, I don't know. I might be a homer, but I, I was waiting know. for you to get to that. That's, that's what I teed you up for. I was waiting to see how long it would take you to well, mention Well, I didn't it. know if, you know, I could go on and on about that. I mean, that, that was impressive. What was impressive about it the most was the fact that they were down to the Chiefs twice by double digits, but they continued to run the ball, which is all I've just ever wanted. Stay with who you are. They did, and it benefited them. Kansas City, it's unbelievable to me how much they can turn their off their they can go from hot to cold when they need to turn it on and they need a touchdown they almost get it every time but it's almost yeah, like they were, they're so good and they're so casual and they get so comfortable it's the warriors they have a they're the warriors they, they are the they, they are back. the warriors of the regular season after they set the record when they got kd those those regular season warriors they turn it on turn it off whatever they got to the playoffs it took them 16 games to win the title? Or no, no, sorry. 16 would have been all sweeps. 17. 18 games. 17 or 18, yeah. yeah and, and that was it. So that, that is what the Chiefs are. 
Uh, they look, they turned it on on the last drive, and then Clyde Rizzolaire just just fumbled the ball. I mean, that yeah. was that would get that game was as good as done. All they had to do was just kind of kill the clock a little bit, and that was it. And Ceh fumbles, so um, got lucky. They and just, two, what they was turned impressive? It on in two plays. Lamar throws a pick six. He throws a pick in the red zone, and they still beat the Chiefs. To make those kind of mistakes and still beat them. Now, if he did that in Kansas City, they never win that game. So he was right. fortunate that he was home. But uh, that showed me a lot. Was he made those mistakes? Kansas City obviously had the fumble at the end, or they probably win the game. But to make those mistakes, to be down by 11 two separate times, and to still beat a team that you haven't been able to beat. And for as much crap as I've given Wink Martindale, props to him. He did not blitz a single time in the fourth quarter. He only blitzed 18% of the time. In their three previous matchups, he had blitzed 42% or more in every game. And that's why they lost. So he learned from that. He went against everything he believes in, and they only gave up 28 to the Chiefs because of the pick six. So you got to figure if you're going to beat Kansas City, you need to score more than 35, which the Ravens had to do, and they won. So it was yeah, you, you get to watch the Ravens every week, of course. Um, I see them when they're on national TV, and I say the same thing that you probably say and see every single week. Run the ball, don't blitz. That's it, regardless of what the score is. I don't care if you're down 21 or you're up 21. Run the ball. Don't blitz. I feel like last year, whenever I saw them, they would fall behind early, and then Roman would think that he had to start throwing the ball, but Lamar just can't do it, right. and it wouldn't help them out. They were down 11 twice here, and he stuck to his guns. He kept running the ball. Wink, stop blitzing, and it worked. It's a very, very simple really way for the Ravens, and they keep going away from it because they keep trying to show they can do it in more ways, but they can't do it in more ways than one. But the one way they do it is really damn good. Just keep doing it that way. It's very simple. Well, that's um, why. And, you know, everybody thinks they can't beat the Chiefs. And I get so mad because I've always said they haven't played like their game. They always try to outduel Mahomes. They try and turn Lamar into a passing quarterback when that's not how they're built. When they stick to the run and even with all their injuries they had, you, you see what they're capable of. Lamar and the Ravens are 14-0 and when he rushes for 90 or more yards. Greg Roman, that's the number one stat you should print onto your play sheet every single week. That's your bread and butter. When Lamar runs the ball, you win. I've always said that, and, I mean, that's that's what makes us tough to beat. So. Yeah, it's that's that's the Ravens, what they got to do. It's real simple. It. It's not hard. Yeah. Uh, quick note on the rookie QBs before we turn over to week three, just because it's something interesting to follow along all season. Trey Lance really did nothing this week. Justin Fields got in the game with an injured Andy Dalton. We'll see if he comes back. He did next to nothing in the time he was in the game. He had almost six, cost him the game. Yeah, he almost did. I mean, six completions, um, 60 yards, pick six. It was not mm-hmm. pretty for, for Justin Fields. Uh, Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are playing like two guys who were drafted to the two worst teams in football. I mean, they're, they're trying to play hero ball. As a result, they're turning it over, and their stat lines are almost identical through two games. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has two extra touchdowns, but – um, Zach Wilson, 468 yards, 56% completion. Trevor Lawrence, 450 yards, 50% completion. Both have five picks. Uh, the passer rating for Wilson is 56.1. For Lawrence, it's 57.1. Um, it's almost identical through two games. And again, life of a rookie when you're drafted to the two worst teams. They're trying to outdo themselves instead of doing the simple things. Um, but they both have shown some absolutely phenomenal throws and flashes in the first two weeks where give them three, four weeks, they'll figure things out. They also both 
well, not necessarily Lawrence because the Texans are not a good football team, but um, more so Wilson and Lawrence this week, at least. Um, the schedule didn't do them any favors. I mean, Zach Wilson came out of the gates with the Panthers, Patriots, and now next week the Broncos. Those are three teams that when we look back on it at the end of the season, prob- I would, I'll say for sure on the Broncos and Patriots, maybe on the Panthers, those are three top 10 pass defenses in the league when it's all said and done this season. Uh, Lawrence had to go up against the Broncos this past week. Um, and the Texans week one, he, he carved them up a little bit, but more so in garbage time. So uh, they're going to take their lumps. That's, that's what it's going to be. And I'm curious to see when we start seeing more of Justin Fields and Trey Lance, because Jimmy G was very uninspiring in the Eagles game. But like, that's why Jimmy G is still their quarterback because they still win when he's in there right. because he doesn't, he doesn't do enough to make them win, but he does enough to not make them lose. And that's what got them to a Super Bowl, and they were still one missed play at the end that bombed to Emmanuel Sanders away from winning the Super Bowl. Um, so they're going to stick to that formula, I think, any chance they get here. I agree. Um, it's, it, I'm interested to see Wilson this next week because he obviously went against Belichick this past week. We know Belichick's now 22-6 and six against rookie quarterbacks. The NFL is a copycat league, so – now Denver has all this tape of how Bill Belichick played Zach Wilson. To me, it's going to be so fascinating to see how Zach Wilson sees how Belichick played him. Know that he's probably going to get a lot of the same looks against Denver. Not to mention Denver just faced a rookie quarterback last week. So now he gets to see how they played a rookie quarterback. So the chess match in that game between Denver and New York is going to be so interesting because – There was a stat I gave last year. I think it's like teams are 60% against the spread when you play, when you get the team New England played the previous week. So Denver would be the team that fits under that category because Belichick gives you the blueprint of how to beat that team. So obviously he's going up against a rookie quarterback. He has so much success against them. But uh, I think Robert Sala is the right coach for them because you see the Jets defense is, is pretty good. It's good. And they kept them honestly in both games without all those crazy turnovers. The Jets are there against New England. Um, I expect they them held to play. them to twenty-five points and under three hundred yards when they turn the ball over four times. I mean, yeah. that's hard to do. And the Panthers—they gave up nineteen points to them. Very respectable. So, you know, I don't expect Denver to score more than twenty-four. I expect them to be right around twenty. So, if Zach Wilson can get you seventeen, I think you'll be right there in the game. Like Salah said, he wants it to be boring. I think it's going to be a much more conservative game plan, run the ball, play action, don't put too much on Wilson's shoulders. But I think it's, it's extremely fascinating this week. You'll find a lot out about your quarterback because Belichick gave you the blueprint now of what Wilson's weaknesses are. How does he counteract that against another very good defensive mind in Vic Fangio? To me, it's one of the more interesting chess matches of week three. I, I think it's going to be very fascinating. Yeah, and once he got down early, um, he, he started to try to do too much, and, and that was kind of kind of it. At that point, he forced things he shouldn't have. But uh, the good thing for both Trevor Lawrence and for, uh, for Zach Wilson is that after this week, it gets a little bit easier. You kind of had your baptism by fire. Um, Lawrence has to go up against a better-than-advertised Cardinals defense this week, but then he gets the Bengals, Titans, uh, a tough one against the Dolphins in England before a bye week. Um, and then for the Jets here, again, it's a tough one for Wilson against the Broncos, but then you get a favorable matchup against that Titans defense 
a favorable matchup against the Falcons defense and then a bye week. So he gets two soft defenses and then a bye week to kind of recalibrate before you go on from there. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see, especially um, with, with the bye weeks coming so early. I think both teams were very happy to see the schedule come out and see early-ish buys in week six and seven for their young quarterbacks to kind of take a breath, reassess, and, and get into the next phase of the season. Another note for that Jets-Broncos game, and it's something we'll talk about now as we shift into looking at week three. Um, Tuesday is too early to do best bets, so we're going to talk through some games we could see as, as our best bets. We'll still make sure to tweet it out um, once the weekend rolls around. We might actually tweet it out on Thursday if anybody has a Thursday pick, because um, the last couple of weeks we've had some Thursday picks, but got it out afterwards. So um, one thing to look at for the Jets-Broncos game, the altitude should not affect Zach Wilson. He spent his college career up there at BYU, so, so he should be unaffected that's by the true. altitude as well. And that's yeah. something that a lot of rookie quarterbacks do struggle with when they go up there for the first time. Uh, yeah, Jets are going to be one of my favorite plays of uh, week three. Denver's right now, they're either minus 11, minus 10 and a half, just too many points. Uh, your stat of the week for you. Teddy Bridgewater is 38 and 14 against the spread in his career. He's 23 and three on the road. This game is at home. Um, but the biggest favorite he's ever been in his career was minus six last week against the Jags. So he's never been a favorite as big as this for all the reasons I mentioned. I just, you know, I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I could see it being 24, 17, uh, 24, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood. But I think just 10 and a half, 11 is, is too many points. Wilson, I think, is going to learn from, from those interceptions. I think the Jets' defense forces a couple turnovers. Broncos are coming off two road wins. They're 2-0. and They're first in the division. They're feeling good about themselves. Now you got the 0-2 Jets coming in. And it's just it's human nature that I think they're just going to relax a little bit. They're just going to be like, you know what, we can show up. We can beat this team by four. We can beat them by seven, get out of there, move on next week to Baltimore. While the Jets are 0-2, they still feel like they got a shot. Everybody else in their division's 1-1. One one. They're right there. So uh, they're going to play hard. I, I love 0-2 teams in week three because they're so desperate. This is their season. The stat you mentioned, you don't want to go 0-3. So I think the Jets are going to play really, really well while the Broncos – might be feeling a little good about themselves, maybe take the foot off their gas a little bit. I think it's a great spot for the Jets, uh, plus 10 and a half. For just about everything you said, I like the game as well, but for the under, it's 42. So I think this is low scoring somewhere in the neighborhood yeah. of 21-13, 24-17, like you said, something like that. That all plays into the under. Um, the game of the week, not necessarily for betting purposes, but just for pure entertainment Maybe and watching the year. purposes. The, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Rams home against the Bucks. I mean, yep. sign me up for that one. Boy, and uh, look, it's a pick 'em as it should be. Uh, it, it, it's a coin flip. Uh, Brady, I saw a stat that he's thirty nine and thirteen when he is a when the spread when he's an underdog of two and a half or less. So it was Rams minus one at some spots. It's a pick 'em at some spots. I'm staying away from it because oh no, not not touching this game at all. And with the way their defenses play, the the totals fifty five and a half. With the way both of these defenses are structured, it actually wouldn't surprise me if this game was low scoring. It wouldn't surprise me if it was forty three to thirty eight. I have no clue. I have absolutely no feel or read for this game. I'm going to sit down at four twenty five. I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to have fun watching it, but that's yeah, about it. I, mean, I, I, I don't know. If I had a lean, it'd be a really slight one to the Rams, but 
then again, do, do you want to bet against Brady? I don't. So, uh, you know, no, and for a team like the Bucks, who have returned all their starters from their Super Bowl team, you know, this is one of the games they circled on their schedules to say, this is one of the teams we're going to have to go through if we want to get back. We're going on the road. Let's, let's show them who the kings of the NFC still are. But on the flip side, the Rams are saying, look, now we got our guy at quarterback. This is who we've needed to get over the hump, and this is the team we have to go through. So I really don't see an edge either way. The Rams obviously don't really have a great home field because they're in L.A. So, uh, man, I don't know. If I had a pick, it'd be the Rams, but I don't feel good about it at all like you. This is a stay away from me. Yeah, absolutely. No, no shot. I'm touching anything regarding that game. Um, Carolina Houston's not a great Thursday game. I could see this being a blowout in the Panthers favor with Davis Mills starting at quarterback. Tyrod Taylor as a veteran is the only thing that keeps the Texans alive and he's not there. Um, so this one is seven and a half for the Panthers. I'm looking at that as a possibility. Uh, again, I think it's one of those where they're daring you to take the Texans at home because of the hook, but in reality, the Panthers probably should blow them out. Uh, especially considering, again, that it's Davis Mills at quarterback. I'm with you. If Tyrod was playing, I might like the Texans plus seven and a half. When they were playing the Browns and Tyrod was in there, they were beating the Browns. I mean, they were playing yeah. really well. But like you said, as soon as he got injured, the, the entire game changed. With the way Carolina's D has played in the first two weeks, I, I think it's going to be a long night for Houston, maybe you get a backdoor cover at the very end, but this would be, like you said, Carolina minus seven and a half or a pass for me. My survivor pick this week, I think, is the Bills um, at home. They already lost the home game. I don't see them losing another home game. That defense has looked electric with Epinesa and Russo uh, at the edges. Um, that was the one thing they kind of needed, and, and those guys are stepping up based on last year's team. Um, so I like that one, and then uh, it's just a similar situation with uh, with the Steelers home against the Bengals, where I can't see the Bills starting 0-2 on their home field. Can't see the Steelers starting 0-2 at Heinz Field. Uh, so I do feel really good about the Steelers against the Bengals. Now, and that game's always tough. Those teams hate each other. But four and a half, I think kind of the perception around the Steelers coming off that loss is kind of dampened from what it should be. Um, and again, just don't see them starting 0-2 at home. I agree. Uh, Steelers are probably going to be my survivor pick. The Bengals just struggle against teams that can bring those exotic blitz packages. Burrow's still a young quarterback. His O-line is still not very good. He's got all those shiny cars and new toys on the outside, but as we saw against Chicago, if you don't get time to throw, you can't feed any of them until late in the fourth quarter. So, like you said, Pittsburgh coming off a home loss. Uh, and remember, the Bengals beat them last year on Monday night, one of the big upsets of the yeah. year so Tomlin's going to remind them of that all week they're not going to take Cincinnati lightly it's a divisional game everybody in the AFC North one and one so Tomlin's going to be like look this is a game you gotta win early in the season for the reasons you mentioned you don't want to go 0-2 at home I like Pittsburgh minus four and a half this week I think they rely on Najee that defense gets them a couple turnovers and uh, I can see him winning something like 23 to 10 somewhere in that neighborhood I will say this I think this is the week. I think week three in Survivor is always when one of the yes. one of the big teams loses and yep. you get a chunk of the pool out. There's no way, in my opinion, that the Jaguars, Jets, and Lions all lose this week. One of those teams is winning. 
The Jaguars home against the Cardinals. That's going to be a popular pick for uh, people on the Cardinals. The Ravens at the Lions. That's going to be a popular pick. And the Broncos has the biggest spread of the week. It's going to be a popular pick. One of those three teams, no doubt in my mind, is is winning this week. I don't know which one it's going to be. Couldn't agree more. Not on on the side of one of those teams in the suicide pool, uh, which is why I'm not touching any of those games. I'm taking the, the the Bills at home. One of those teams, no doubt in my mind, loses. Could not agree more with you. I think a lot of betting experts would tell you that it could be the Ravens just because of the spot that they're in. You come off two primetime games. You finally beat the Chiefs. You, you just, you're so motivated to win. At the same time, though, the Lions are playing off a short week. And just under Lamar, against the bad teams, the Ravens usually take that's care of the business. thing. That's, that's the, the thing, thing that's he tough is, about that game. They make sure to pad around. the stats, too, against the bad teams. They really run up the score. And, and against an NFC team like that who's never seen them, it's, it's tough to simulate them in practice, obviously. For me, of the three teams, I think Jacksonville. I think Arizona's on big-time upset alert. Going west to east, I know the Jags have not looked pretty on offense, but they're usually good for one big home upset a year. Last year was their only win against the Colts in week one. With the way Arizona has looked, though, I just, you know, they've looked great on offense and defense. But, again, it's a lot like the Broncos. You're 2-0. You've had a nice win over Tennessee you escaped one in Minnesota. Now you play Jacksonville. Maybe you get a little relaxed. Um, and an 0-2 team. Desperation. Knows they need a win. But, you know, the Jets, I could see beating the Broncos. I really could. If Wilson plays well, that defense forces some turnovers. I could see it. But if you're asking me to choose between the three, it would probably be Jacksonville. But I totally agree with you. Either the Ravens, the Cardinals, or the Broncos will lose this week. One and we talk about what the Cardinals are coming off of. How about what they're going to? They're on the road against the Rams next week. Ooh. So between what they're coming off of mm. and the look ahead to the Rams. There you go. Um, it's, it's a I already bet Jacksonville uh, at seven and a half. I love it too at the Netflix. hook. I think that's, that's great value. So yeah, I'm with I you. can see that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, those are the ones that stuck out to me. Outside of that, there's a lot to parse through this week. I mean, there's a bunch of those field goal games. Saints at the Pats. Pats are three-point favorites. Uh, Giants home against the Falcons as three-point favorites. I like the Giants in that one. I think the, with Joe Judge, I think they come out as the more desperate of the two teams, and they had the mini bye week coming off of a Thursday game, and they match up well. I think they beat the Falcons. Um, Raiders home to the Dolphins. If Tua doesn't play, I like the, Ra- uh, the the Raiders. Did I say Ravens? I might have said Ravens, but I like the Raiders home against the, uh, the Dolphins there. I just can't pick a Jacoby Brissett quarterback team regardless. Um, and then the other field goal game, that's going to be interesting. Uh, actually, two of them, primetime game, Sunday night, Green Bay at the Niners, and then Philly at the Cowboys Monday. Those are two really tight ones in primetime. Green Bay, San Francisco, I have no feel. We know San Francisco's had their number recently in, in years. So you know Rodgers going back out to where he's from, Berkeley, Northern California area. He, he wants to get that one. I actually love the Eagles, though, in uh, primetime. Dallas on Monday night, the last couple of years, they lay a dud to Tennessee at home. Arizona, they got blown out last year. They've lost to Washington. Dallas just is not good at home on Monday night. They're coming off a nice win on the West Coast. Greg DeLeg hits a 56-yarder. Eagles on the flip side coming off a home loss where their offense looked awful. I think Jalen Hurts is going to play really well. I think that defense plays well. I think Philly upsets Dallas. 
Dallas could also be another survivor pick that maybe some people choose. I'd be very, very careful of that one. Dallas at home in prime time always scares me, especially on Monday night. I like the Eagles to pick that one off. I think they beat them. I can see it for sure. That's, that's not a team yet that has sold anything to me in the Cowboys. Got to give me a couple more weeks to feel any good about that team. The offense is good. The defense looks improved, as I said yeah. it would when we were talking about it with Dan Quinn in charge. Yes, but um, still, still a long way to go. Uh, the game of the week in college was Bama, Florida. I mean, how Bama did not continue to blow the doors off them surprised me. Yes. And as we switch gears now to college, I'll start with, with your wheelhouse here because you probably watched every second of that I game. I did. Um, um, look, I was surprised with Florida when they were down 21-3, their ability to fight and had a chance to win it or tie it and send it to overtime. But Emory Jones, we were talking, and I said, if Richardson doesn't play, they have no shot. And Emory Jones showed me a lot. He showed a lot of people a lot. Joe, the truth is I went into the Florida game before and I said Bama and Georgia were the two best teams in the country. I still thought Bama was a little better because I thought the defenses were about even, but I thought Bama's offense was head and shoulders above Georgia. I still think the offense is above Georgia, but I think Georgia's defense is much better than Bama. And, uh, their run defense is a real issue. Their linebackers really are not as good as I thought they were. They have a lot of issues there. When Saban usually goes up against a quarterback that you don't fear too much passing, they usually dominate those matchups. So to see them get dominated like that at the line of scrimmage, especially in the second half and the fourth quarter, very worrisome. Um, but Bryce Young was great. It's not often that a Bama quarterback, especially in the regular season, has to make plays in a close game in the fourth quarter on the road. But for the Swamp to be your first road game with 90,000 people just going nuts, and every time they needed a drive, they needed points, he answered. So that showed me a lot about Bryce. That showed me a lot about the offense. Defense is a real issue, though. And uh, as of now, Ben Portnoy said when he came on at the beginning of the season, he thought Georgia was the best team. I agree with him. Um, I think their defense is by far the best in the country. And offensively, at least when they play Bama, their O-line is going to overwhelm Bama. I don't think Daniels is going to have to make as many throws as people maybe thought he would have to. They'll control the line of scrimmage. So I don't like to overreact too much to one game, but playing Florida showed me a lot about Bama. They, they have some issues, and uh, Georgia, as of now, I think is the best team in the country. Yeah, Ben asked Coach Beamer a question this week. They got us one of the best coaching answers of the week, and that was incredible. <laughs> was He's not wrong, too. Who, George has got some big boys up front. Yeah, for anybody who didn't see it, Ben was brave enough to ask the question of Coach Beamer, like something to the effect of, like, how do you plan for Georgia or how do you try to stop them? And, like, an exasperated coach was just like, dude, they got a 105-star <laughs> defensive lineman. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, And it was one of the most real, fun, honest answers a coach has given in a while. So, uh, so thank you, Ben, for asking the question and falling on the sword there because uh, it produced a gem of a clip. Um, but, I mean, yeah, to that point, I think it's, it still looks like what it's looked like before the season started. If Bama's going to lose, it's going to be to Georgia probably. Um, I don't – outside of Florida, being that it was at the Swamp, I didn't – I didn't see another team in the SEC possibly beating them. Ole I Miss still don't. in two weeks. Well, you know what? Off. That's not a bad spot because – tell you, the way Ole Miss Corral is the type coming. of quarterback that they lose to. You're right. He's the type and of Ole Miss's they defense lose to. is much better. You know, like last year when Bama beat them 63-49, to 49, Bama can do whatever they want offensively, whatever they wanted. 
whatever play Sark called, it was going to get 10 yards. This year, Ole Miss's defense is better. Their offense is better. And if there's one team that isn't, uh, isn't terrified going into Bryant-Denny, isn't overwhelmed, it's always Ole Miss. So, yeah, they always play well. Yeah, could see that for sure. And then uh, elsewhere, there's a couple of big games this week in a way that there haven't been uh, the past couple of weeks. A few ranked on ranks that are really interesting, um, mainly Notre Dame-Wisconsin. That's an elimination game uh, at this point. Yep. Those two teams, I, I think, look, at this point, Notre Dame, um, I mean, they haven't lost, but you know they have to pretty much go undefeated to make the playoff. Um, Wisconsin has lost, and at this point, they probably can't afford a second. They're going to probably have to run the table and win the Big Ten, and that involves going through Iowa and probably going through Ohio State. It's going to be tough. Um, yep. So Notre Dame is a team that has to be undefeated, you imagine. Wisconsin's a team that has to have one loss. So a big noon kickoff, it's an elimination game. Uh, and it's at Soldier Field, neutral site game as well. Love I, I love, I love Wisconsin. I, I don't think Notre Dame is a good football team. Um, mm. They should have lost to Florida State. They should have lost to, uh, who was the cupcake they played? Toledo. Uh, Toledo, they should have lost to Toledo. Yep. They didn't look inspiring against Purdue. Nope. They're not a good team. They are case in point of why I hate the fact that there are rankings before week four. I know you have to do it. I know it helps sell the programming because you get to say, hey, it's number this versus number that. But right. they're a team that every year skates by on the gold helmet, the logo, the prestige, but they're not that good. And only because of the preseason rankings and the perception around them, are they even ranked where they're ranked? If you probably started going up and down the list, I don't think Notre Dame is one of the top 25 teams in the country, yet they've fallen at number 12. Um, and that's just, again, that is just how life works when it comes to a Notre Dame team. Um, I love Wisconsin this week. I'm trying to find the number. I had it handy. It was five um, and a half. Last five and a half. Saw. I love Wisconsin. I think they blow the doors off of Notre Dame this week. I think it could be a double-digit game where they just kind of control the tempo. Notre Dame is not good. They're not good. They're not good, but neither is Wisconsin's offense, and that's the problem. No, but Wisconsin's defense is, and Jim Leonard is going to give that team fits. When I say that I think Wisconsin wins by, like, double digits, I don't mean, you know, they're going to come out and win 38-28. I mean, Wisconsin might win by double digits, meaning, like, 21-7, to like, something like that. So I don't think Notre Dame's going to score. The interesting storyline in this game is the fact that Jack Cohn the quarterback of Notre Dame used to be at Wisconsin. Right. So he's familiar with Jim Leonard. He's familiar with that program. Um, and, and they're familiar with him. They are familiar with him. That is correct. It's strength on strength in this game. If Notre Dame has one great unit, it's their offensive line. And Wisconsin's defense is year after year, really, as good as anybody. They're so well coached. They're fundamentally sound. They're excellent. I just – their offense is so bad. We saw it against Penn State. They, they – they lost that game. It's unbelievable they didn't win it by two touchdowns. Mm. But, you know, Graham Mertz, just, he just hasn't lived up to what people thought he would be. And five and a half is always the kind of spread where Vegas is telling you they don't want to go up to a touchdown because they feel it's too high, but they don't want to go down to three or three and a half because they feel that's too low. So they kind of put it right in the middle, just like Auburn, Penn State, and it could come down to the final possession. And it just – it scares me. I'm with you on your handicap. Wisconsin's the better team. They feel like the right side. 
I just I'd be careful. Notre Dame. These are the two weeks they've been scheduling: Wisconsin this week, Cincinnati next week. This is when they thought their season would start. These are the two games they've been waiting for. I just and these Fox noon kickoff games have been funny, right? Oregon beat Ohio yeah. State. Nebraska almost beat Oklahoma last week. So you know, funny things happen. And Wisconsin lost to Penn State in the Fox noon kickoff. So all the underdogs have played pretty well in the Fox noon kickoffs. I like Wisconsin. I think they win the game. I'd probably take a money line. All those points, though, with their offense just scares me a little bit. Yeah, and another game that's interesting this week, it's a team that you picked against last week in best bets, is Arkansas this week. Arkansas yeah. and Texas A&M at Jerry World on CBS at 330. Um, that's a really interesting one that I want to get your thoughts on as the, SEC, as, as the resident SEC guy. But Joe, that's... first off, let me just say – I applaud CBS for not having Alabama, LSU, or Georgia on CBS. All right, let some of these other guys get some shine. So I love the fact it's AM and Arkansas. I think that's great. Um, this is the same spread as the Notre Dame and, uh, and Wisconsin game. So, Joe, basically what Vegas is telling you, this is a neutral site game just like Wisconsin and Notre Dame. So let me ask you, from what you've seen, do you think the gap between A&M and Arkansas is the same as Wisconsin and Notre Dame? Because that's Ooh. what they're basically telling you, is that that matchup, those matchups are the same. They see Arkansas as Notre Dame. They see A&M as Wisconsin. I don't think it's the same gap in a vacuum just because A&M is missing their starting quarterback and because Arkansas, again – uh, when it comes to the, the preseason perception of the rankings or a team that started on the outside and has ascended. Um, so the perception on them is still kind of settling into the proper range. I think these teams are a lot closer, especially because a and missing their starting quarterback than Notre Dame and Wisconsin are. I think this, okay. these teams and are I, a lot closer. I, agree. I, I probably, especially would have put it, especially at a neutral site, I probably would have put it at like three. And I think Arkansas is a much better shot at pulling off the upset than Notre Dame. I, th- I, I think Arkansas might win the game. Um, I, I like Arkansas outright. Outside of quarterback, A&M's pretty much got everything you want. They got great backs, O-line, defense. But, boy, do they struggle offensively. It, it has not been good. Um, even their get-right game against New Mexico when they were supposed to blow mm. the doors off them, they only won 34 nothing. I mean, they only put up 34 on New Mexico. So Sam Pittman's one of my favorite coaches in the SEC. The job that he's done with that program in two years, people forgot how bad Arkansas was in the SEC. They, they were on the same kind of level as Vandy was. Um, they were bad. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Now they're number 16, deservedly so. And I kind of see some similarities with A&M in Texas. Their quarterback is kind of their weak spot. They have a lot of skills and playmakers around that, but Arkansas in Jerry World, I, I like the Hogs. I'm with you. I, I think money line, I'd maybe flirt with them on the money line, definitely take them five and a half, but uh, A&M just, man, I, I don't know. This, this is going to be a fun matchup too. I, I think I'm rolling with the Hogs though. I, I'm, I'm with you. Agree with you. These are some of the ones that stuck out to me again as we're talking through some of the games we like since uh, we're not going to actually give best bets because it's too early on Tuesday, yeah. we'll still tweet them out. Um, Joe, the matchup. Anything else? Yeah, I was going to say anything else stick out to you as you're looking up and down. Uh, two games. The first game, or three games actually. Clemson at NC State. Do you, without looking, do you know what the spread of this game is? Clemson at NC State. 
If you would have guessed. at NC State, I haven't looked at this one yet because uh, Clemson right now is just very, very pedestrian, uh, which I didn't think we'd be saying at this stage of the season. At NC State, um, I haven't seen NC State yet. I have seen Clemson. It's on the road in ACC play. It's probably something like Clemson minus 17 and a half. Clemson minus 10. Not 10. Wow. That's what I'm saying. Wow. So, look, that that's a f- stinky funny number, but I look at it as I just think you're getting great value in Clemson. This defense has not given up a touchdown all season yet. They gave up a pick six to Georgia. That's the only touchdown they've really allowed. Their offense has been anemic, but do you think NC State scores more than 10 points against Clemson? Can't you see Clemson getting 21 points? I know the oh, offense. But I, see, I, I was going to say, and I was going to say, after they put up only 14 last week, can you see Clemson putting up 21? That's well, the problem. That That's was the problem. A, that was a funny game. They had that long lightning delay. They were awful before that, but that, that was a weird game. I think going on the road, they'll be much more focused. They've been hearing how bad they are all week. I don't know, Joe. For Clemson to be laying 10 points in an ACC game against a team that's not Notre Dame, I feel like you got to take it. I mean, <laughs> you, think, you think NC State staying within 10 of Clemson? I just I, – I, I again, it's stinky. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lean that way, but I'd stay away from the game entirely. That's I just – I look at it as I can't see NC State stay, scoring more than 10. And I'm just trusting that Clemson somehow gets three touchdowns, and I think I'll be all right. So those are one of my leans. I just thought that spread was very interesting, that it was only 10. Another one that's very interesting is Michigan State minus five at home against Nebraska. Nebraska's been awful this season. They lost to Illinois in the opening week. They hung around with Oklahoma, but Michigan State's been one of the surprises Joe, I just think this is one of the classic cases of you got to fade Michigan State right now. How many times have we seen it with Maryland over the years? They get off to a hot start, they get a couple of great wins, and then you fade them in week three. I think this is the right. week you fade them. It's plus five. I already know everybody's going to be on Michigan State. I think they could win the game by a field goal, but I think Vegas is telling you a lot here. They understand the hype around the Spartans. And with the way Nebraska's defense has been playing this season with how they played against Oklahoma – I think they're going to stop Kenneth Walker in that running game pretty well. And uh, that would be – I think that's the stinkiest line of the week is Michigan State minus five. I think you got to fade the Spartans. I think that's, that's a fair assessment. Um, outside of that, another one I looked at was Rutgers at Michigan. Uh, Michigan's 20. I think that's still part of the perception that Rutgers is still little old Rutgers. But, like, Rutgers under Shiano is not bad. Yeah. 20 is a lot. And I'm still not sold yet on Michigan. This could be the week they sell me. If they win by three touchdowns, but that's another one that I kind of had earmarked to see which way like the line that. moves. They scored sixty-three last week, so you know the line got jacked up yeah, after exactly. that. People saw exactly. that. I like that play. My last one, I don't really love the board this week in college. The only other one was you have a ranked Kansas State team number twenty-five at Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State's minus six. So I usually love when a ranked team is playing an unranked team, and an unranked team is laying a number like that. Because I know a lot of people will see the 25 next to Kansas State's name, and they'll say, oh, my God, they're plus six? They're plus 200 on the money line? Let me jump all over that. So Oak State had a great win at Boise last week. Anytime you went on the blue turf, that's a hell of a win. Uh, so, you know, Oklahoma State, 
they've won all their games by five or less points, and they're laying six. So I think that tells you a lot, that they haven't been blowing people out. They're playing a ranked team, and Vegas thinks they're good enough to warrant six points. So those were the three games, Clemson, Michigan State, and Oklahoma State, that caught my eye. Sounds good to me. Those are all some of the ones that I had earmarked as well. Um, I just hope that some of the back end of the top 25 teams lose this week so Maryland could get in. You set up a ranked matchup next Friday night at oh, home against yeah. Iowa. Are you a little um, worried that that's going to be Penn State deja vu all over again? Not Undefeated as much because Friday night. Not not as much because I think uh, I think that Maryland team had flaws a lot more so than this team. I think this team is a lot better all around. I think it's better coached, um, and I think that it's comes down to Talia being an actually really good quarterback that we didn't have back then. Um, so I think we could still lose by a couple touchdowns as Iowa gets into their ball control, but it won't be the blowout shutout that Penn State was. Like I, I would probably, as of now, say Iowa wins that game uh, like 27-13, 27-17, something in that neighborhood. Right. Um, but there's, there's still some climbing to do. One, two, three, four. Maryland's the fifth team receiving votes right now. Um, so K-State could lose to Oak State but fall out. But Oak State would go in because Oak State is the, is the fourth team receiving votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, UCLA on the downswing. Um, Auburn, again, on the back half. They'll win, though, this week. So there's a couple teams there who could fall out, hopefully. Uh, to set it up as a ranked-on-ranked game next week. But uh, either way, it's going to be a fun one. And uh, the Pac-12, by the way, after starting as strongly as they did, outside of Oregon, has Falling completely undone everything they did. Yep. So. Utah got blitzed by BYU. UCLA lost to Fresno. Fresno is right now, though, so good for Fresno. Fresno's, they almost beat Oregon. Fresno's the real deal. Derek Carr's cooking, Devontae yeah. Adams <laughs> is cooking, and Fresno's <laughs> cooking. So there, there you go. go. Joe, before we get into trivia, just uh, real quick, baseball, and then we got the Ryder Cup this week. Um, Baseball, the wild card just continues to be fascinating. The AL wild card is like the ping pong balls at the NBA draft. It's like one team just floats up, and then the other one floats out of it. Um, Red Sox created a little separation. The Yankees are a half game back of Toronto. I still like Yankees-Red Sox. I think that's the matchup we're going to get in the AL wild card. I think the Blue Jays are actually the best team of those three, but I think experience gets the Yankees and the Red Sox in. In the NL wild card, I'm just I'm stunned that the the Padres have fallen off. Here come those Cardinals again. They've won yeah. nine in a row. I said it last week. I said it last week that I don't. I think once the Cardinals take that spot, they don't spend the day the rest of the season out of that spot. And now they have a three game lead, so I think that is wrapped up. Um, yeah, they continue to crazy. You know what? I'm, af- I'm afraid they're going to beat the Dodgers, and I say afraid because I don't want the Dodgers to be out after one game elimination. So I'm rooting for the Dodgers to overtake the Giants here because I think the Cardinals win. Uh, the way they're playing right now, I don't, I don't want to play them in a one game elimination game here. And wouldn't it be something the Giants going up against the Cardinals like? The teams that dominated, right, in, in that little era there with World Series, still having Yachty, still having Buster Posey. I'd love to see Kershaw Wayne versus Wright. Wainwright start that game. That'd just be yeah. chef's kiss. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah so so it, it'll be fun, but I think that's it's the Cardinals. They're, I mean, they've won nine straight games. Um, they're not relinquishing that. 
I do like the Blue Jays still to stay in. I don't know who I'm picking between the Red Sox and the Yankees to fall out. Um, but the way they're going right now, hottest team in baseball, or one of the hottest teams, I should say, in baseball, the Blue Jays. So, uh, and, and they're a fun young team. I'd like to see them get they it. Are. They, they are right now what people hope the Padres would be. The young, fun team getting into at least a wild card game. Um, so I hope at least we get the Blue Jays in there. So if we well, don't have yeah. the Yankees, I'm not going to complain about it. <laughs> Look, I'm with you. Of all the teams I want to see, I, I think Blue Jays-Dodgers would be the best World Series. I think that'd be phenomenal. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man. I just, unfortunately, I think the Yankees will just find a way. I am hope I'm wrong, but we'll see what happens. That should be fun. What do they have left? When does the season end? October 3rd, 4th? Uh, they have about Third? a dozen games left, I think October it is. October 3rd. Last game of the season. Yep, something to that effect. About a dozen games. They have. They're playing right now. The Yankees um, against the Rangers, and then they have a big weekend series coming up against um, against the Red Sox this weekend. So that will that will go a long way. In something tells me out. Sunday night baseball will be there. Just a hunch. Yeah. <laughs> just just yeah. a hunch. Um, yep. All right, very nice, Joe. Uh, and then Ryder Cup, I just want to talk about real quick. It's, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave the floor to you here. I mean, with all the other stuff going on, I couldn't even tell you who's on each roster. Uh, I have not looked at Ryder Cup yet. Um, I will probably get into it as I start seeing the videos of the crowds going nuts. Oh, that's the best. Um, but I couldn't even tell you who's on. Who's on the, the crowds roster. are honestly what makes it. Um, what I just think is so cool is all these NBC people who have been to like the Super Bowl, the Olympics, all these NBC events, they all say the Ryder Cup's the best just because, you know, at the Olympics, like it's the same every year with the excitement. The Super Bowl is always that same anticipation. All those golf events are quiet and everybody's respectful. And then at the Ryder Cup, it's just an absolute, it's like Woodstock, you know, they just go absolutely crazy. So uh, I think that's why everybody just loves it so much. But I think it's going to be awesome. Who's on the U.S. team? So the U.S. team, uh, Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Kepka, DeChambeau, Spieth, Justin Thomas. Wait, 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 wait. Brooksy and DeChambeau are teammates. <laughs> oh, they're teammates. So there's been a lot of reports that, you know, they want this feud to stop. I doubt that Stricker, Steve Stricker, who's the team captain, pairs them together. But, my God, would that be phenomenal television. Oh, man. But uh, – all right, now I have to watch this for that. Like I said, with, with baseball coming down the stretch, being busy with soccer, uh, with NFL starting, just hasn't been on my mind, the Ryder Cup. But I no want to see Rom and Rory versus Kepka and DeChambeau Saturday at 3.30 as the CBS game on college football is going on and see what the ratings are. Because oh. I think golf would get more. To watch Bryson and Brooks together with Rory and Rom, I think uh, that'd, be, that'd be something. And when we always talk about like our favorite sports days of the year, I always leave out Ryder Cup Sunday, the match golf, when it's one versus one and they play. And I just, it's once every two years. So I really don't think about it. But whenever it comes, it's always one of my favorite days. I just, I love it when they play head to head for each other. If, you know, like it's, it's the kind of tournament where they don't even, they pick up their putts. Like if somebody makes birdie and the dude has a bogey, he just picks up his ball and they move on. So it's fast paced golf. The crowd's going nuts the entire time. It's all the best golfers in the world. It's a lot of fun. And that course whistling straights, I'd shoot a 300. I mean, (laughs) it is so hard. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be awesome. All right. Well, it takes us into trivia. What we got? What's the score? Uh, still tied up at 24. We both 
came so close we last did. week. And uh, we so, yeah, we're still tied up at 24. I like my question for you this week. I'm going to go first. Go ahead. So you could give me plus or minus a year. As long as you're within a year here of, of each team, I'm going to say I'll give it to you because it's not okay. that easy to remember the years, but I don't also just want you to start naming teams. Um, since 2010, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Since 2010, nine Division One football teams have finished a season undefeated. I want you to give me, of the nine, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Would help if I could count. There have been eight teams that have got undefeated. I want you to give me six of the eight, and again, plus or minus a year. So, for example, if you were to say, if you were to say 2003 Utah under Urban Meyer, I'd give it to you because they were 2004. Because um, it could be tough to get the exact year, especially when the national title is in a different year than the season actually was. Right. So, give me the team and plus or minus a year. Uh, and I'll give it to you. So if you're wrong on the team or if you're more than a year away, it's a strike. Um, but there's eight. I want you to give me six of them, and you can go ahead. All right. Well, last year, Bama, 2020. Uh, the year before that, 2019, LSU. Correct. Um, 2017, Clemson. Correct. Plus, uh, plus or minus one, it was 2018, Clemson. 28, okay, they were the year, right. They were the year before LSU. Um. Oh, Bama went undefeated. Twenty Bama twenty fifteen. Bama twenty fifteen was not undefeated. They lost to Ole Miss. That's right. That's right. Um, Strike one, and you're thirty seconds into it. Oh, so a minute left. Uh, strikes to work with. UCF uh, was twenty. Uh, Bama won the title when they beat Georgia. Twenty UCF twenty seventeen. Correct. Okay. So two more. Ooh. You're Florida, a minute into it. So yeah. Florida State went undefeated. They beat Auburn in the title game. That was 2013? Correct. You got to give me one more. Ooh. How much time I got? You got 15 seconds. Ohio State never went undefeated. I don't think Boise did. Coastal didn't do it last year. Uh man. Oh, Auburn with Cam in uh 2011. Time expired five seconds ago, but that's infuriating because <laughs> you had it right. But I, I, you were in the train of thought, so I didn't want to interrupt, but time expired five seconds ago. Um, so strike, but 2010, Auburn with Gene Chizik. Uh, 2010, also TCU. Um, right. This, this was the tricky one. You said Ohio State never did it. Ohio State did do it, but it was the year they had the one-year self-imposed penalty. So nobody ever remembers it because they didn't win the national title. They didn't go to a bowl game. But in 2012, they were undefeated in Urban Meyer's first year there. But that was the year that they had the one-year ban as a fallout, I guess, of the Troy Smith stuff. Mm. Um, So nobody remembers they went undefeated that year, but they did. But, yeah, you were actually – I, I had it set. Um, you were seven seconds over, but I wanted to see if you would say. Yeah. That. <laughs> oh yeah, Cam. I just that came to me. Well, at TCU, I would not have gotten Ohio State. I totally forgot about that year that they didn't go to a postseason game. Wow, right. that was going. I like that a lot. That was really good. Um, all right, your question is NFL for through the first two weeks. Let's see how well you're paying attention. Can you tell me? 
the four quarterbacks already this season that have thrown for six or more touchdowns? Four? Yes. Four quarterbacks that have thrown for six or more. Brady is the most with nine. Yeah. Um, let's see. Six or more touchdowns. Um, Derek Carr's got the yards. Don't think he's got the touchdowns. Russ, Russell Wilson. Russ has six. Yeah, that's two. Six. Um, this is a tricky one because Kyler Murray has a couple of running touchdowns in there, but Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray has seven. Oh, that is correct. Okay. So he's one got more. a rushing touchdown or two in there. Um, six. Matthew Stafford? Not Stafford. Ah. One strike. All right. It's not Aaron Rodgers. Um, did Jameis have a touchdown against the Panthers this week? Jameis. Jameis is strike two. He did not. Okay. So he had five last week. And I don't remember if he had one. All he needed was one this week. Yes. Panthers included. I thought that would have been a trick there. That would have been a good trick if that was the case. So you got 25 um, seconds left. All right. It's not Dak or Jones or Heineke or golf or dang um 10 seconds Jimmy G. yeah um shoot yeah uh Derek Carr not, yeah, Derek, not Carr. Derek Carr yeah. uh Patrick Mahomes has six okay well, he had three he had three against just... Cleveland three against the Ravens I you know when in doubt probably should have just said his name but I thought <laughs> I, I didn't I, I almost thought you weren't gonna make it that easy. Like That's I'm like, right, there's gotta be somebody in here who's a needle in a haystack, like a Jameis getting five and then one. Um that was a great guess. Uh yeah, so there are a bunch of guys at five, like Jameis. Trevor Lawrence actually is five. Yeah. Um yeah. so there there are a bunch of guys, but uh yeah, those were those were the four. It's true. You know, Mahomes, he does almost seem too easy, which almost right. made him like good that he was in there. Right. <laughs> so uh so, yeah, so those are the guys. It's unbelievable at 44 years old that Tom Brady just doesn't slow. I, I played a preseason parlay. It was one of the FanDuel special ones, which I guess you could get introduced to as you get to move to a state that has uh, has FanDuel in it. I'll mm-hmm. send you that promo code uh, very shortly. <laughs> um, Joe needs that money. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and I'm almost there. Like, it's, it was, I think, plus 750, I think it was. It was – Brady over 40 touchdowns. He's got nine through two games. It was Gronk over five touchdowns. He's got four through two games. And it was Mike Evans over a thousand yards. And it was plus 750. So as long as they all stay healthy, the hardest part's probably going to be Mike Evans. Well, but Brady, so, yeah, staying healthy for that. Right. Even so, he's already at a, a, a hundred something yards. So he's already like ahead of the pace to, especially with the extra game this year to get to a thousand. Um, you know Gronk's getting a fifth because they played the pa- Patriots this year, right. and I guarantee you that Brady is going to force a ball into Gronkowski to make sure <laughs> Gronk can spike the ball up in New England. Um, so he's he's already got four. That one puts me over. So I that that one I'll I'll take the, what the Bucks keep doing. That's fine by me for that <laughs> for that. Preseason parlay. I love that. Man, the Bucks and the Patriots is next week already. That's that's pretty crazy. Have you been able to watch? Week? Yeah, next week, week four. 
Have you been able to watch the uh, the Manning cast yet on ESPN two? Yeah, I so I watched it last night. Uh, week one, I watched the regular feed because Same. I was trying to focus on the game, and their stories were so interesting and fun that I couldn't focus on the game. <laughs> so I caught some of the clips afterwards. This week, though, terrible matchup. It was blowout right. starting right. at the beginning of the third quarter. So I was locked into the Manning cast. It was great. I mean, it's it's awesome to like see them break it down, and and it's it's great. Joe, I've learned I learned more about football in those three hours than I did twenty five years. Yeah. Listening to Peyton Manning like dissect defense and everything, I'm like, oh my. His God. reaction to like like having the camera on them all the time. His reaction to the to the um, fumbled snap from Jared Goff like late oh on. Oh my that God, game, it, was, it was great. So great. good, love that brilliant idea by ESPN. And that idea they're floating around of having them do a Manning cast for Tennessee and Ole Miss, I think is brilliant. I, yeah. I would love to see them do that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, And, you know, Pat, late in the game, Pat McAfee was on. If there's one thing I think it lacks, it's I think they need a third voice to kind of fill the gap because Peyton and Eli, as each play is about to go on, they're obviously locked in on the play and ready to right. break it down. I think the show needs a third voice to kind of take it through those mini dead periods. Sure. And Pat McAfee is just an electric factory. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't hate more Pat McAfee or somebody like that to get added on a more permanent basis. Um, just That's to a good get call. us through those moments. Cause you yep. get second or third quarter and, and they're focused on the play and you could see their eyes are moving all over the screen. They're ready to read it and, and tell you what happened. But somebody who can like talk during that um and, and kind of clean up on some of the dead zones that's the one thing i think it lacks and mcafee was hilarious the stories he told oh the, um, casino, the roulette story was the fantastic. casino roulette one was fantastic <laughs> um it's it's a it's it's a good thing and uh i'm curious to see where it goes from here i know peyton wants to get into either ownership or being a gm um and he's turned down so many offers to be a permanent monday night guy or a permanent thursday night guy um but but with no disrespect to Brian Greasy or Lewis Riddick or Steve Levy, if ESPN or if Monday Night Football moves over to ABC on a more permanent basis um, and they need to go poach a bigger name to get on for when they go to ABC instead of being on ESPN, play-by-play guy, you know, whoever they get, they get. But if they want to stick with a three-man booth and make it Peyton and Eli with whoever their marquee play-by-play guy is, Sign me up for that. I mean, that is that would be phenomenal. I mean, yeah. it, the, the Monday Night Booth was at its best when it was Tarico with Gruden and Jaws. Um, I think if you get, you know, uh, theoretically Al Michaels, because Al Michaels' contract with NBC is up and Tarico is ready to take that job. So if Al Michaels wanted to give it one last go on Monday Night Football with ABC for a couple of years before he retires, and you put him with Peyton and Eli – or you take an Iron Eagle or a Dave Pash and you put them with Peyton and Eli, Monday Night Football is just going to be golden, absolutely golden. So this is – I always think this is partly experimentation for those purposes where right. they want to see how Peyton and Eli do and get used to it, how the crowd reacts to them, and then next year they might merge it where they join whoever their marquee play-by-play guy is and they go from there. Steve Levy's great. Steve Levy is a true professional – I enjoy him on, on anything he does. I just don't think it's the right fit for him. He's great on SportsCenter. He is going to be phenomenal for ESPN hockey. Um, but but I, don't, I think Monday Night Football needs a more true football guy. 
mm. that makes sense. Yep, that does. I agree with you. I think that's a good a good take. That's well said. I think a lot of people feel that way about Steve Levy. He's just I love Levy. Like he's a professional. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Levy, and as a play by play guy, I would never want to say anything about another. He is fantastic at what he does. He does a great job on Monday Night Football, but I just don't think for like the casual fan, he's as big of a football name as would be an Al Michaels, as would be an Ian Eagle. That's my only thing. Like, I love the game he calls. Sure. Um, the longer he's on it, I'm happy with it. Um, but he's, he's going to be fantastic on hockey. He's one of the best sports center anchors of all time. But as they go to ABC, I think if they pluck a Michaels or if they pluck an Ian Eagle and they put him with Peyton and Eli, perfection. Absolute perfection. Even look, even if as he's raised his football profile these last couple of years, even if they go with Steve Levy with Eli and Peyton, like it's going to be money. And I think they have for as long as Monday Night Football has been trying to figure out their booth, I think they're on the cusp of something special. And uh, to have Al Michaels kind of come back where it all started to end yeah. his career, yeah. that would be pretty, pretty yeah, cool. All right, Joe, we're off next week. We'll see everybody again in October. Yep. Uh, we'll still tweet out best bets this week. We'll still tweet out best bets next week, even though we're off. Um, but the next episode will be yeah, first week of October. And it'll Sounds be good. 63. 63. 63. See you All then. Right. See you then.